Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. Let's read together. Follow along as I read, I mean. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, She was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and could not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Thank the Lord for his word. There's not a day that goes by that we don't see something on the news, hear something in the news about a prison somewhere, someplace. A lot of people are in prisons, but the kinds I'm going to talk about this morning aren't the kinds with locks and cells and guards. They're prisons of our own making. A lot of people live chained up, locked up, imprisoned all the time. There are prisons of small faith. You'll remember 
one day when Jesus was with his disciples and uh, things happened in a way that seemed unusual to them. And he said, oh, you have little faith. We have these prisons of small faith that, that lock us up and bind us up and keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. There are prisons of hopelessness and despair when we feel like it'll never change, it'll never get better, it'll never be different, and we give up hope. There are prisons of doubt. There are prisons of disobedience. We create them ourselves. There are prisons of addiction and prisons of failure. And a failure that has happened long ago in the past, and yet we allow it to still define us every day. There are prisons of unforgiveness. There are kinds of prisons, all kinds of chains that bind us and hold us. And people are desperate to get out of these prisons, yet they remain locked up. So let me ask you, This question in your mind as we talk for the next few moments. What prison holds you? What has you locked up? It was at least the second time Peter had been imprisoned. The first was told in Acts chapter 5 when all of the apostles were arrested. They had been healing people. This was the, the time as the story unfolds that they, the apostles were moving among the people at the temple and, and healing people. And the scripture says that, that people, even who fell within Peter's shadow, were healed. Didn't have to pray for them. He didn't touch them. He didn't call them out. Just if his shadow fell on them, they were healed. That Acts 5 story tells us that you know, the, the religious leaders were jealous and envious. And so they had them locked up. After a while, they were released, and then this is at least the second time for Peter. There might have been others, and other apostles had been locked up and imprisoned at different times in different ways. Now this time, instead of the religious leaders locking them up, this time Peter was imprisoned by King Herod, awful King Herod. If you study his history, you find what an evil man he was. And here's Peter in this prison, guarded by four squads of soldiers of four soldiers each. Sixteen soldiers to watch over one prisoner. It's interesting. Both times Peter was in prison, the scripture tells us an angel of the Lord showed up and released him. Both times. God released him. And it reminds us that there was no prison secure enough to keep the apostles locked inside unless being in prison served some greater purpose for God. And here's Peter, thinking he's having a dream, a vision, and he begins to walk the instruction of the angel Finally, he comes to a place where he he comes to a census. He comes to a realization. This is real. This is happening. I'm walking out of this prison. Five observations today from this little passage about Peter's life. 
First one is the church was praying. And and the scripture doesn't say just that the church was praying. Uh, Depending on which translation you read, uh, there are different words. The New International that I read for you this morning says the church was earnestly praying. Earnestly praying. Well, what does that mean? If you look at some of the other translations, if you do some study to uh, language, you find out that that earnestly praying meant they were praying nonstop. And the implication is that they were praying for Peter, although I'm sure they were praying for all kinds of things, probably even their own safety. But they were praying earnestly, without ceasing. The Amplified Translation says, It was fervent prayer for him was persistently made. And so the Amplified says the prayer meeting was all about the Apostle Peter. The other thing that is here, it says many were gathered for prayer. It wasn't just one or two or three or four. Many people had gathered to pray. The church was praying. God intends for the church to seek him when there is a problem. God intends for us to be people of prayer who will persistently go before him to ask that the needs that we have be met. The church was praying. There's a church in Oregon, in Jefferson, Oregon. Jefferson Baptist Church. Little town in Oregon, a population of about 3,000 people. They began to pray. With all of their hearts, they began to pray. And God was answering. And answering in a tremendous way. People were coming from all around, well beyond the borders of Jefferson, to to be a part of what God was doing in that place. If you do a Google search, you can probably find it. This little church developed a philosophy. Actually, they weren't little for long. They developed a philosophy, and they expressed it this way. Much prayer equals much blessing. Little prayer equals little blessing. No prayer equals no blessing. And they began to live out the truth that as they prayed, God would bless. And they experienced it, and they watched it happen as as people came to Christ and were saved and transformed, as people began to show up for worship, and their church began to experience something unusual in their community. And they learned this lesson. A praying church is a powerful church. And a powerful church is a productive church. And a productive church is a progressive church. And a progressive church is pregnant with unlimited potential. That's what they learned, and that's how they write about their experience. That the church was a praying church. And that certainly was true that day as Peter was imprisoned. The church gathered to pray. They weren't going to sit and just watch and see what happened to the problems they were experiencing. They, they weren't going to just be content to say, oh, well, a couple of us have lost our lives for our faith. Peter's in prison. It'll probably happen to the rest of us. No, they began to pray. And that prayer changed things. Doesn't it always? Prayer always changes things. Second observation. Peter was trusting. 
I find it interesting that in the midst of all of this, the church is earnestly praying. The guards are all around him. He's locked away. Here's Peter sleeping. Now, it might be that he was just exhausted and he had no choice in the matter but to just fall asleep. But, but a lot of people who find themselves, you and I included, in anxious, difficult situations have trouble sleeping. And so that says something to me. It reminds me of a day when there was a storm beating of fury on a, on a sea as Jesus and his disciples made their way across it. And the disciples were in a frenzy trying to keep the ship afloat. And where was Jesus? He was sleeping. Why? Why can Peter sleep? Because he trusted God. And he knew no matter the outcome of his current situation that, that God was in control, that God was going to take care of him, and that all would be well within God's grand economy. I grew up singing a song in the church that just speaks a lot about this. Whether I live or die, whether I wake or sleep, whether upon the land or on the stormy deep, when to serene and calm, I will abide with thee. I am the Lord's I know for all eternity. I am the Lord's I know for all eternity. I think that must have been the heart of what Peter was experiencing. As he slept peacefully and restfully, such a sound sleep that when the angel showed up and knocked the chains off his body and said, get up, Peter doesn't even realize he's awake. He's at such peace. You know, when we trust God, we know that in the midst of the trials, the challenges, the difficulties that we experience in life, and they always come, that God has a plan and has a purpose, that God will take care of us. Those things don't always work out the way we might like, but they always work out the way that God would receive blessing through them, that God would receive glory through them. And so Peter could trust. Third thing, God was working. The angel appeared, the chains fell off, the gate opened by itself, Peter came to his senses. I love what the angel said to Peter. Quick, get up. Quick. I think there's a reason the angel brought some urgency to that situation. I don't think the angel was worried that some more soldiers might show up, do you? I don't think that was the issue. I don't think they were trying to sneak out before they were found out. I think the angel understood that he was in charge of that situation. He had been given authority at the delegation of his heavenly father and that Peter was going to walk out of that prison. The quick wasn't about what might happen around them. I think the angel said quick so that Peter would act, so that he would move, so that he wouldn't become paralyzed in fear and un uncertainty and doubt. He wanted Peter to get up and move because he was going to walk out of a prison. You know, when God shows up, we better be quick to respond. When God makes his will known, 
we better be quick to walk in that way. Quick, get up. Peter followed him out of prison. See, God will lead you out of the prison that you find yourself in. But you have to be willing to get up and follow. I've observed too many times. I'm sure many of you have too. When when a person was experiencing a difficulty and a challenge and they were begging God for help, and as an outsider standing and watching, we could see the way that God was working and all the person is doing is continuing to languish in their despair instead of recognize that the hand of God was there and that they could get up and they could walk out of their prison. When the door opens, be walking. And frankly, Peter was walking before the door was open. He was walking. If you're in a prison today, trust God to show up and be quick when he does. Don't languish. Don't wait. Don't despair. Don't question. Be ready and willing to follow. Fourth. Fourth observation. This one surprises me. The church was astonished. Peter came to the door, knocks on the door. The servant girl, Rhoda, goes and opens the door, and, uh, and there's Peter standing. She's in such shock, she can't even invite him in. <laughs> she doesn't even think to do that. She runs to the others who are praying and said, Hey, Peter's at the door. He's at the door. And what do they do? They discount her words. Ah, you can't be right. Nah, we, we know Peter's in prison. He can't be at the door. We know he's in prison. We know who Herod is. We know he didn't let him out. He didn't let our other brothers out who died recently. We know Peter's in prison. You can't be right, Rhoda. Something else is going on here. And she insisted, she insisted, she insisted. And finally, they too came to their senses. And realized that Peter really was at the door. What do you think they were expecting when they prayed? The scripture seems to be pretty clear that that they were praying for Peter to be released. Or at least, well, I shouldn't say be released. They were praying for Peter. What did they expect? Maybe they were just praying for his safety. That God would spare him and let him live out the rest of his days in prison. Maybe they were praying for his release. But if they were, when it happened, they didn't have the faith to believe it. And yet God had answered their prayer. Peter was free. What were they praying for? What were they expecting? We, We can't really know. Scripture doesn't tell us. We can only conjecture. We can't really know. But I think we can conclude this. That as they prayed for Peter, they had what Jesus talked about one day. They had a little mustard seed faith. It's just a little mustard seed faith. 
Because if they didn't believe he was at the door, then they weren't believing that he was out of prison. They weren't believing that their prayer had been answered in a miraculous way. There was something wrong. They, they had enough faith to pray, but they didn't have enough faith to really believe that Peter had been set free. You see, all of those people, which the scripture says was many people gathered to pray, they were all in prison too. Not one with steel bars, guards, not one with cells. But they were in that prison of doubt and disbelief that the very thing they prayed for they couldn't believe had really happened. I think they needed to be set free from the prison of small faith. I wonder how often we we walk into that cell, that prison of small faith. We're praying for something. We hope it will happen. But we don't pray with the expectation for it to happen. We don't believe that it will happen. We offer it up as a, well... I'll try. <laughs> and we, we kind of beg God instead of really trust Him. I'm surprised that the church was astonished. Wouldn't be so surprised today necessarily, although I still would be. But these are people who had, most of them, spent time with Jesus, they'd seen His miracles. They knew what was happening. And if they hadn't been there, they were hearing the first person testimonies of people who had been with Jesus. And yet when they prayed, they didn't believe that the prayer had been answered. Let's not get locked up there. Let's not live in the prison of small faith. Let's trust God. Fifth observation. The enemy was active. Even in the midst of the miracle of God, the enemy was active. Herod was still uh, on his throne, casting his evil. See, your captor doesn't want you released from your prison. He wants to hold you there. He wants to keep you there. He wants you to be Enchained and enslaved in that prison, whatever that prison is. And he doesn't want you to be set free. And even when you are, he's going to continue to be at work trying to lock you up. A pastor one time told a story of his childhood. His name was Duke, Pastor Duke. He tells when he was 10 years old, his father, who was in the Navy at the time, took him to the docks where those Navy ships were anchored, and uh, they went there to do some fishing. And they fished right by a a large ship. I, I don't know how large. The account I read doesn't tell us how large, but a large ship, whatever it is. The weather that day was calm, and the ship floated on slack ropes just there, nothing really... I mean, it was tied up, but the ropes didn't have to do any strain or work to to hold the ship. And all of a sudden, Pastor Duke's father 
got up, Pastor Duke, 10 years old, watching his father. And his father leans out. He pushes both hands against that ship. And he pushes and he pushes. The young boy wondered, what's, what's he think he's going to do? That ship's so large. What's he going to do? Does he really think he can push that ship? And his father just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And all of a sudden, that ship began to move. Pastor Duke, in telling the story, says, I thought he was crazy. He was trying to move a ship. I thought my dad, after it moved, was Superman in disguise, he says. But then he said this. He told what his father did next after he had moved that ship a few inches. He squatted down, looked eye to eye at his son, and he said... I don't know how it works, but somehow my energy is stored up in that ship until there is enough to move it. If I had quit before there was enough energy to move it, even seconds too early, it wouldn't have moved, and all my pushing would have been wasted. And guess what? If you had helped me, it would have moved twice as fast. Then Pastor Duke says this. As we seek to pray earnestly as a church, we will be like my dad pushing that ship. The more people you persuade to push with you, the sooner it will move. Don't give up before the results start to come. You never know when they're just about to happen. Keep praying. Get others to pray with you. You'll be amazed at how God moves. If you find yourself today locked up in prison, something's holding you, start praying. Start praying. And don't just pray by yourself. Find a few trusted others in the church and have them pray. And don't pray with a little tiny mustard seed faith. Now, if that's all you have to begin with, then good. Pray. But let it grow. Let it mushroom. Let it build. Because God wants to set you free from your prison. And he will. He will. We're going to celebrate part of our Christian experience together in a few moments. We're going to celebrate the prison that we escaped. The freedom that Jesus gives us because God sent his son, not an angel this time. He sent his son. And his son set us free from sin and death. The son unlocked the prison doors and allows us to walk out of our sinful lives. And to experience freedom, forgiveness, hope, power.